Good morning, Tampa Bay, and welcome back to The Skinny here on WMNF Tampa. Today is the first day of March, 2024. It's 11.06 and 31 seconds right now. Big thanks to the Down and Dirty. Great show there. Um, sorry, guys. No Mario, no John Dingfelder next week. Uh, because first, first day of uh, Women's History Month. It is Women's International Women's, uh, Women's History Month. And uh, next Friday, um, that show will be taken over by Lynn Marvin Dingfelder. Um, John forgot to mention that. Uh, Lynn will have uh, Florida's former CFO Alex Sink and former Florida State Rep Mary Fig um, on the show. They're going to talk about Women's March Forward, some of the backwards knocks, and that progress in general. My name is Ray Rowe. I'm the editor-in-chief at Creative Loafing Tampa Bay. I am rejoined this morning by Tampa's only Pulitzer-nominated author, journalist, and boat captain, Ben Montgomery. Ben, it's always good to see you in the studio today. <laughs> it's always great to see you, Ray. Um, the skinniest usual driver, Mitch Perry, still exiled to Tallahassee, where he is covering the legislative session for his nonprofit newsroom, Florida Phoenix, where he is the senior uh, news and politics reporter. Um, Only a week or two left of uh, session, right? It happens so fast. There's so much stuff happening. It's it's crazy. And um, last week it was really fast too. We wanted to once again thank all the listeners who helped us raise about 800 bucks last week for our share of WMNF's spring fund drive. This show, however, uh, did fall short of its goal to the tune of $700. So if you haven't been able to contribute, please, please head over to WMNF.org and throw some bones um, in that bowl to keep this nonprofit station um, driven by volunteer programmers like Ben, Mitch, and myself um, on the air. And Ben, those uh, some books autographed by you are still available as a gift too um, if you want those. Um, so for a majority of the show today, we're going to um, try and open the phones and visit an interesting survey that Creative Loafing Tampa Bay experienced experimented with in this week's issue, which uh, Ben has open right now. How did uh, we, this come to be, Ray? So uh, we pretty much, it was a leap year, and when you work in print publications, you, for better and worse, you come up with reasons to do special coverage, and we thought, hey, let's see uh, if people would respond to a survey about what they thought Tampa Bay needed to be a better place um, in four years, and it was pretty overwhelming. There was a big response, so we'll talk about that um, in, in the... in. Pretty soon here, but we're just going to get a couple of updates out of Tallahassee um, in the spirit of Mitch Perry, who really is really great at bringing those um, to us. And because we've kind of gotten away from the hard news a little bit over the last uh, few weeks while Mitch has been away, uh, Ben and I have been at play here experimenting with uh, different formats and things like Had that. Had the Goody Mob on last week, Had, I mean, two weeks ago. Goody Mob yeah. at, at, at 11 a.m. on WMNF Tampa for a uh, an interview yeah. uh, based around <laughs> words and not music was pretty wild. <laughs> Um, and we've been pretty lucky to be able to do that. So grateful to be here for that. But um, did want to talk about some news, right? So um, in January, former Creative Loafing Tampa Bay reporter McKenna Schuler, um, she's now reporting out of our sibling publication, Orlando Weekly. She published a story about proposed changes to Florida's child labor laws that would, in part, revise Florida's child labor law to allow minors 16 and older to do non-clerical work in residential construction that is current, the currently deemed too dangerous. At the time, uh, Representative Susan Valdez, a Democrat from Tampa, did express concern about children's safety on the job, but ended up concluding in her committee that uh, she was going to side with it and had hope that her issues with the legislation would be uh, resolved via amendments. Well, it turns out that process uh, might not have worked out. Um, this last Wednesday here, the bill... HB 917, it passed a Republican-dominated Florida House in an 84-30 to 30 vote. 
um, while Democratic state reps David Silvers and Catherine Waldron and Lisa Dunkley crossed party lines to vote in favor of the bill. I think there was only one Republican who broke with his party um, to do that. But Valdez also changed her tune and voted no. Um, it's important to note that the bill has been amended to remove the legalization of non-administrative work on commercial construction sites. Um, so basically, no more teenagers, no no teenage roofers um, out there, which uh, which I think a lot of people were working for. But there have been people in the trades uh, who've argued that the so-called safeguards to protect these kids on the job are still um, is insufficient. Um, one such tradesman, Kevin Lawhorn, a 19-year-old, spoke at a committee in the Senate last week and said, to see this bill that you don't even need someone to have a journeyman with you while you're doing this job, and it's just someone who has taken their um, OSHA 10, which is a safety uh, um, class, is very worrying. So um, interesting stuff there um, out of Tallahassee. And one more quick update um, out, of, out of Tallahassee um, before we get to these survey results. Um, something, Ben, you've been following since 2008, Ben. Yeah. Um, do you remember when you first got the first tip and idea that you were going to cover uh, the Dozier School for Boys? Yeah, there was an AP story that ran in the back of the metro section of the St. Petersburg Times. And uh, it was the first I'd ever heard of Dozier. It was coverage of a small press conference of five men who had found each other kind of online through, you know, Internet chat boards and so forth. Uh, they convinced the state to let them hold a, a press conference, and uh, they they billed it as the closing of the White House. Uh, and I don't they, they, these these men were finally given a chance to tell their story for the first time. And there were a handful of reporters there, one from the Associated Press, and uh, uh, you know I had never heard of the Dozier School, but these guys were talking about uh, taking be- beatings in the White House for minor infractions. And, um, you know, they, they described it in such a horrific way. I carried the paper over to my editor's desk and I said, we, we should follow this. Uh, is it true? First of all, what they're saying at the time, there are only five men, uh, is what they're saying true. And how have we never heard about it? And is there anybody who can be held accountable if it is in fact true? And, and that reporting that you did, it brought all these people into your life and into, into readers' lives, really. I think you know, of people like Dr. Erin um, Kimmerell and her book, We Carry Their Bones, which is a fantastic blend of, of hard data and reporting and anecdotal and storytelling. Um, and, and around, I mean, you earned a Pulitzer nomination for local reporting because of your work together with uh, your colleagues. at Waveney Ann Moore and Edmund Fountain. At the yeah. then St. Petersburg Times. Yeah. Um, and um, around Thanksgiving last year, Ben, you brought to this program three men, um, Charles Fudge, Roy Connerly, and Gene Luker, who were abused at the infamous Florida Reform School, quote-unquote, if we can call it a school. And I'm hoping Skip can log into our audio vault here. You asked him a little bit uh, about the beating that they took, and I was wondering if we could share that with our listeners real quick. And if you violated uh, rules, often the punishment was being taken to... Uh, the White House for uh, for a beating. Were, were any of you all uh, beaten in, in the White House? And can you, I know it's tough to talk about, can you give us a sense very quickly of what that was like and what, you know? At 12 years old, I was uh, there uh, three days and I was taken to the White House and received a beating of 31 licks with a leather strap uh, that was just uh, a beating unmerciful uh, and I've lived with that, still live with that today, how someone as big as these guys were that was in charge could take and beat a little child at 12 years old mm. with that kind of beating. Uh, 
it's something that stays with you your whole life. And at that time, that day, I think we broke that news here on the show that uh, state lawmakers had teed up roughly $40 million in companion, quote-unquote, victims of reform school abuse bills um, filed by Tampa's Daryl Rousson and uh, Representative Michelle Saltzman. Um, the bills were different from past failed legislative attempts to remedy these um, abuses at Dozier. And last month, for Creative Loving Tampa Bay, you went to Tallahassee and reported on how a bill that would help ease this anguish from the victims uh, might give these men a lump sum payment, maybe $50,000 um, you know, or more if it cleared the committees. Um, I know they say justice moves really slow. But last week, Mitch, uh, for, for the Florida Phoenix, reported that uh, a committee in the state Senate approved $20 million in compensation for approximately 400 still-living victims of, of the abuse. Um, there was supposed to be a vote on that today, Ben, but it got delayed until Monday. Can you tell us where we're at with all this and how your hearing next week is supposed to go for these White House boys who you've known? If a, if, if, a, if a bill has ever had momentum, uh, in my experience, it's this one. Um, there's been, you know, after years of delay in the legislative process and, and honestly being ignored in the legislative process, uh, with the help of a powerful Pensacola law firm, uh, th- this bill is moving forward at rapid speed. It's cleared six uh, separate committees, Senate and House committees, uh, unanimously, as far as I know, uh, it was just voted on yesterday and passed by the House, and now uh, we'll go. Uh, we'll, we'll be called for a vote in, in the Senate. Um, the interesting thing to watch is some of these White House boys have been uh, advocating for this bill over and over and over again, and this is a, a burden. Uh, talking about this is uh, not a walk in the park for them. It's mentally distressing. Uh, you know, several have described it setting them back for days. They might, they might, uh, get in front of lawmakers and speak and tell their story in two or three minutes. And then they'll spend the next 24 hours on the couch, uh, you know, un- unable to focus on anything else. But it's, uh, gained momentum. Again, one big hurdle for, for these guys, and that's the Senate. And, um, uh, my sources tell me that it's, uh, looking good. So, I uh, won't be surprised if uh, it rolls around on Monday and and uh, the Senate awards this $20 million in compensation to, like we say, somewhere between 300 and 400 living abuse victims of the Dozier School from the 1950s to the ni- mid-1970s. And they're, they're not calling them reparations in Tallahassee. No, no. Uh, uh, that, that is a, uh, a word that the lawmakers who are supporting this bill have encouraged, uh, uh, you know, the White House boys and others not to use. Uh, it's one of those trigger it's a words. weird semantic seems, thing. Yeah, right. Very semantic. But it's one of those trigger words that uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, for better or for worse, uh, um, make, makes people just tune it out Im- immediately. So this is being called a compensation package. And no mention of uh, that word, that reparations, word, the even R though the word. definition really kind of fits. Um, maybe there's some reporting, you know, out of Tallahassee when you get there, but have you heard much about the fact that it the sum went from $40 million to $20 million? I've not. I don't know where that cut came from. I do know that there's been a uh, – they've had a difficult time putting a number on the victims. Uh, you know, you're looking at hundreds of boys who were there in the 1940s, 1950s, 
1960s, uh, and then halfway through 1970, I think this cuts it off at 1975. And and recall uh, also that the school, uh, it wasn't just Dozier we're talking about. In 1951, there was a school built uh, in Okeechobee called the Okeechobee F- uh, School for Boys. It was modeled after the Florida School for Boys in the Panhandle. Um, and the lawmakers in this legislation have opened the doors for people who are victimized in that facility to also be a claimant and take a part of uh, this purse. And the purse was reduced, as you mentioned, from $40 million to $20 million. But I'm not sure if that's an accurate reflection of them uh, revising that number of victims lower or uh, or not. But I know that it's been a moving uh, it's been a moving number for a long while, and we'll see where it settles. Yeah, and, and as you said, it's very emotional for the boys to talk about. I think that's been the most emotional day I've had here in the studio, and I was just listening um, and and around it. So yeah, that that abuse is ever present in their lives. I mean, uh, you know, they took severe beatings when they were little boys, and many feel they've never sort of been able to shake that experience. They still have nightmares about it. I met a man 70 years old who still sleeps with the lights on because he's afraid of the dark from this uh, traumatic experience being taken to the White House as a little boy. Um, so it's it's present in their lives and it's, uh, you know, the, the, they're, they're used to it now talking about it, but it, it, I don't think it gets any easier. And it's something we'll definitely continue to follow here for the skinny and hopefully Ben will continue to cover it for Creative Loafing. Um, Tampa Bay. If you're just tuning into the skinny here on WMNF, we uh, just got a few updates out of Tallahassee, and we'll spend the rest of the show talking about a recent survey that asked Tampa Bay residents what they thought the region needed to be a better place in four years. We definitely want to hear from listeners. We want your help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We uh, we want the phones to uh, light up here, and, and we're not asking for money this week lighting no. up the phones. We want to hear uh, what you think, so call. 813-239-9663. Irene will get you into a queue. And uh, you are also welcome to text us at the studio, 813-433-0885, or send an email uh, to dj at wmnf.org. Ben, yesterday was a leap day. Um, as adults, I think the magic of leap days loses its luster for some reason, at least for me. But um, it's been nice that uh, human civilization has listened to science, which tells us to add an extra day to the calendar to compensate for the Earth, which uh, actually takes 365.256-ish days to orbit the sun. That's a, a figure from Shauna Edson. We should call Edson. it the ish day. It's the ish. It's the ish-ish. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Edson is an astronomy educator with the National Air and Space Museum. She was talking to the Washington Post, which had a great headline. Without leap years, the 4th of July would eventually be um, in the winter. And um, as we mentioned earlier at the top of the show, for better or worse, when you run a print publication, you take advantage of of things like leap years. And um, I did not mention that uh, myself, together with Creative Loafing's uh, managing editor, Kyla Fields, we were inspired by another alt-weekly, the famous Nashville scene. Um, In 2022, they revisited a 1990 issue um, what Nashville needs when Nashvillians um, talked about the things they thought their city needed. It was a really mm. great issue, and it was cool to see that all weekly kind of revisit that to see how far their city had come and kind of toss out some new suggestions. So we, we thought, hey, let's ask readers, locals, electeds, um, what they thought the Tampa Bay region needed right now to be a better place um, in four years. And, and we should have known 
You but got the, good stuff. You the got response great was stuff. heavy. It yeah. was a lot. Yeah. Um, like 200 people chimed in. Um, and uh, we put the package out in print yesterday um, for the Grab a day. copy, folks. And I am still um, in the process of uploading as many of the responses as possible to cltampabay.com, which I think I'm done with. Um, and those should all be trickling out um, online. But, we, yeah, we wanted to know, very plain and simple. The next time the next year rolls around, leap year, what, 2028, um, what are some of the things that Tampa Bay needs to do um, to be a better place? Um, and and you're looking for achievable things, like like things Anything. that could come to fruition in free four years. Free Wi-Fi, yeah, yeah, yeah four-year yeah. period, you know, free Wi-Fi, maybe some improvements to the bus. I mean, transit was definitely a did, huge thing. Did the responses kind of fall into certain categories? They definitely did. Yeah. Um, and there was definitely a lot of transit and affordability and, and silly stuff, too. Like, for me personally, you know, I just want more places to eat late at night. <laughs> the conundrum for myself and my friends when we're out late is where do we go? Yeah. We love going to the casino and slipping on noodles and stuff like that, but there's like there's really a shortage of like excellent super late night um, places to where eat. Where do you go? They Taco really, Bus? I mean, really where, what's we, left? Taco Bus, um, uh, La Segunda, but even they've reduced uh, their, uh, not La Segunda, I'm sorry, La Teresita. Yeah, Teresita's uh, reduced their hours. Reduced I showed up hours. at like 1 a.m. It was closed. It was closed. Yeah, yeah, it's like the most heartbreaking thing, right? So that's like my thing. And and I was what what's something that you wish uh, this uh, region had more of, uh, you would like to see more of in four years, Ben? Oh, wow. Putting me right on the spot, are you, Ray? Uh, I think uh, I, I, I not only agree with you, but but wholeheartedly uh, uh, concur that we need more late night places to eat. But I also uh, think that the Tampa Bay area would benefit by repurposing the many, many miles of alleyways that we have running through some of the older neighborhoods. And I actually noticed uh, somebody brought that up in your responses, and hopefully we can get to that. I think my idea is a little bit different. Um, We have a lot of unhoused people in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, I wonder, I wonder if we can't sort of repurpose this unused land. And, and by the way, walk through Seminole Heights, walk through Tampa Heights, and in between houses, take a look down these long alleyways that are overgrown now, sometimes with plants and banana trees and whatnot. Uh, but they're unused. We used to collect trash in the alleyways and so forth, recycling in some neighborhoods. But uh, but now they've just they're they're it's vacant space. Um, if somehow we were able to fold that vacant space for multitude of uses, for uh, pedestrian and bike walkways, for safe paths to school, because kids don't walk to school anymore because it's not safe, um, you know, find a way to smartly repurpose though that all that unused inner city land. Maybe it's housing. Maybe has some somebody has great ideas about housing the homeless in uh, you know in. <laughs> In our alleyways, talk about NIMBY, uh, but um, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know that it just it struck struck me for a long time that that we have a uh, you know a lot of unused uh, land that could be repurposed for some thing that benefits us all. And that's the kind of stuff we were asking for. We just asked people get aspirational with it. You're not a policymaker. Like just tell us what you want. You know, some guy wanted a downtown Tampa Chick-fil-A, you know, and, and they had crazy ideas like the alley thing. And I hope you circle that up in print because I didn't bring it um, um, to my notes here. So, um, again, we want to hear from some of the listeners uh, here on WNF. What do you think Tampa Bay needs to be a better place in four years? I got I got one more, okay. Ray, just to add on before we get into the responses you got. But I want a safe way to walk to St. Pete. 
That would be awesome. Yeah. You've jogged it many times. I've, I've jogged it a number of times. I've walked it a handful of times, sometimes with, uh, with, with my kids. Um, and walking down the shoulder of the Gandhi, which really is the most efficient way as a crow flies to St. Pete, but walking down the shoulder of oncoming traffic on the Gandhi is very, very frightening. Uh, a lot of existential thinking. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what would it take? How, how, how? you know, because you see people just driving, looking straight into their phones And the you whole feel time the wind of the car. You feel just... the rush. You hear the wind at the cars passing. Anyways, uh, and, and, you know, you look to your right if you're headed towards St. Pete, and there's the um, the old Friendship Bridge, uh, uh-huh. you know, uh, yeah. or was. Is that thing even still standing? I think it's there's, like, some, like, uh, like pillars still up. Yeah, just this unused like that. bridge that could be perfect for pedestrians and bicyclists, but, of course, we don't use that. Um, but I want a safe way to walk to St. Pete. I think more people would do it, walk and bike to St. Pete, if we had that opportunity. So 239-9663. Give Irene a call. Let us know what you think uh, would make Tampa Bay um, a better place as we hop into these survey results. You can also email us, dj at wmnf.org. Send us a text, 813-433-0885. We have some audio from a few submissions pulled up, which we'll go through as we line up phone calls. Um, up first, uh, something about nighttime activities, Skip. So um, we here's Thomas Halleck. He's an author, uh, a professor at USF St. Pete campus, and in full disclosure has um, written for Creative Loafing, regularly does. He contributes a column called City Wilds. Um, it's about kind of the wild and, and aspects and and kind of connects nature to, you know, um, metropolitan infrastructure. And it's uh, one of my favorite columns edited. It, 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 it's from before I was um, in charge of the paper, and uh, I love doing that. I love knowing Professor Halleck. But he um, had a note for us here about what he would like to see in Tampa Bay. Thomas Halleck here. What does Tampa Bay need? We need art after dark. Museums that stay open till 7, 8 o'clock on a Friday or Saturday night so I can meet my honey, maybe have a snack or cocktail, non-alcoholic drink of some kind, and we can have a little date, pretentious conversation over the painting and sculpture. We can fix this. Come on. Yeah, it seems like a pretty simple solution, and I will actually also invite any museum um, owners. I, I know that at uh, in in Tampa we have the Crest Collective here, which stays open late on on some Thursday nights and and weekend nights at some late night openings. Um, but yeah, I think he's talking about going to like the MFA in St. Yeah. Pete really late, like Tampa Museum of Art. Yeah, I think and it's normal business hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, so that that one was definitely um, pretty cool. And I could spend some time talking about having pretentious conversations with Dr. Halleck um, about that um, for sure. And we're we're starting to get. Um, and so, by the way, if you do run a gallery that is uh, uh, open, let late, us know. Let about us know. Eight one three two three nine nine six six three. If you want to call. You can email DJ at WMNF.org, which people are doing. You can text us, which people are doing. The text number is um, 813-433-0885. What does Tampa Bay need to be um, a better place? Should we get into some of these texts here, uh, Ben? Um, I think we have something here from uh, Dave Coleman from North Tampa. I beg news media cover news media to cover the Hillsborough County Board of Commissioners. 1.5 million residents are having their voices muted, and the commission has impunity to damage the county. Hillsborough BOCC attacks affordable housing and nonprofits. The planning commission will present their future land use, 
2045 plan on March 7th at 6 p.m. Did Dave, you get Did you get a lot of responses about the news media? I so wonder. Ray. We did not. Yeah. So um, you know, one thing that I noticed from from the responses was that our readers are very engaged. A lot of them are enraged. Um, and they really do care about where they live, but none of them mentioned the news media in, in particular. And, and it was interesting because on one hand, they're consuming it on a news website. You know, Creative Loafing writes about a lot of different stuff, but we have a strong news section with, you know, syndicated stories, in-house um, stuff um, that, that could be better, in, in, including the county commission. Uh, Dave makes a really, really good point. Um, you know, we're kind of chasing a story right now. I, I think the county is not going to recognize Tampa Pride um, here, just because of the makeup of, of that board now. It's kind of like going back to the it's dark R- ages Rhonda of Rhonda Storms. Yeah, well. You know, like she's not even on the commission, but some of those sentiments. And and nobody's really covering that. Um, I think Lawrence Moore does it. Uh, he's a Tallahassee now. Yeah. Um, C.T. Bowen, I'm thinking of the Tampa Bay Times, does a pretty good job there. But yeah, there isn't like that person like covering um, that for sure. So I would agree with Dave and you're definitely not reading it in a print newspaper every day anymore. And you know, as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, I was out on a run. My, both, both my kids are off to college and uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, T- Tampa has been home now for 20 years, the longest I've ever lived anywhere as an adult, not 20 years, 18 years. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, uh, about maybe uh, moving someplace else in the next five, 10 years, something like that. Um, but I, I, I thought this morning as I was running, boy, I would, uh, maybe the next city should be a place with a daily print newspaper, which is something that I just, I miss. Uh, I miss going out to the end of the driveway and picking up that paper every morning. The Tampa Bay Times does continue to circulate a print newspaper on Sundays and Wednesdays. Uh, Creative Loafing, of course, uh, comes out once a week. I just want a, a print newspaper at the end of my driveway. You want to be able to like walk walk down the street and pick one up from a newsstand too. Like there is something <laughs> yeah. about reading a newspaper with your coffee. It's the order every day. Yeah, it's you know? the order. You're not counting on uh, there are real people behind the assemblage of news, and that makes sense to me. You're not counting on an algorithm that might be serving you up news right. that's two or three days old. I had somebody today comment, does Creative Loafing even write about news anymore? And I go, I don't know. Right. You might want to check your algorithm because <laughs> right. we do. I'm, I'm seeing right. these stories all the time. Right. And these submissions are coming in, by the way. Uh, Jerome agrees with you here, uh, uh, Ben. I loved walk, walking and riding a bicycle and fishing from the old Gandhi. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. it's gone. Yeah, so... So we definitely missed that. And we have a phone call here. Uh, Keith from Tampa, we're going to bring you on the air here. Keith, t- let us know. What do you think Tampa Bay needs uh, to be a better place in four years? Well, you know, I love riding my bike along Bay Shore, although I do ride on the sidewalk, and I know a lot of the runners don't like that. I don't feel safe on Bay Shore on my bike. Mm-hmm. So this is pretty lofty, but we have a very wide easement from Bay Shore to the water. We should consider all the way down as far as we can to have some type of pervious, uh, maybe soft, um, uh, flat top all the way down. And then we can have dual bike lanes like they do in a lot of, uh, a lot of cities in Spain and all over. If we do that, we can have runners and bikers safer. We can still have our parade there. We don't have stormwater runoff from so much chemicals on that lawn that's not necessary. We can still have trees planted throughout. Um, just an idea. I love this. Keith, Keith. is making a lot of sense hey, right now. I, I've been thinking Thanks, about this Keith. a lot too, and I can do this without pouring a, a drop of cement. How about you just sacrifice two lanes, like the outside lane closest to the water, 
uh, close them down to cars and make that a pedestrian and bike boulevard. Make the other lane two ways. Uh, just take reconfiguring a couple of intersections there. But uh, somebody asked this, in fact, at a, at a community forum. Somebody brought this up. It might have been me. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes sense, right? Uh, yeah, add, uh, add some, some, some safer routes down Bayshore. And also, I think if you do that, you're eliminating speeding on Bayshore. It's a long-lasting problem, hard to get around. People blow through there still People have been day. killed. People have been killed and do uh, get killed you know, on, on Bayshore. You know. And I like the uh, Keith's, Keith's uh, mention of Spain too. I had like a flashback to being in like, I think it was like San Sebastian we were traveling and just seeing these big old bike lanes um, and things like that. And, you know, once a year, the winter wonder ride essentially closes a really large stretch of Bayshore and there's this huge bike ride. Um, on Bayshore, and you just look at the traffic on Bayshore already. He makes a good point about being a biker on the sidewalk. My wife is a runner, and I know that sometimes these guys are flying by, and that's kind of um, a pain. And, and you're a runner, so so you get it. So um, I love I love that idea, Keith. So um, thank um, you for imagine. I, I, w- I wonder if uh, there are any planners out there who've done any work on this. Uh, I, I wonder if there's any way to imagine how many people would use Bayshore Boulevard to commute by bike. Uh, if that was open, if that outside lane was open just to bicyclists and pedestrians. Yeah, it's already just a place that attracts people anyway. I mean, yeah. yesterday I drove on Bayshore and there was just so many people hanging out in the little alcoves too. Like, why not have some bikes just coming down there? Yeah. Um, by Great the way, thank idea, you for the call. Keith. If you want to call and contribute like Keith did, 813-239-9663. That's contributing your idea about what would make Tampa Bay a better place to live in four years. We're getting some texts too, Ben, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring them um, uh, to us here. Bobby Sutter sent us an email. It would be great if they could build another catwalk along the bridge. There is no vacant Gandy Bridge. They tore the whole thing down. Yeah. I'm not sure what you're talking about um, as far as being any, any repurposed. So, yeah, it would be nice to have a catwalk where we could fish on both sides of the bay. Um, if they were to put another catwalk and, and some way to the bridge, the two in the middle, that would be um, fantastic. We have um, – <laughs> uh, I don't know who this is, but they said that we need to deliver Creative Loafing to Skipper's Smokehouse. Um, so we will uh, work on that. <laughs> on its way. Um, do you need me to run some copies up there? Yeah, you're yeah. now hired. Yeah. I, I know you're freelance, so now you are on the delivery team um, as well. Um, let's let's go to another clip here. You know, it's interesting that the down and dirty guys were talking about um, Tim Burke. Um, Tim Burke has contributed to our paper, but uh, he's also a big proponent for the arts. I think he was on the board for Job Site Theater, maybe still is. On the and, board uh, of uh, the Seminole Heights Neighborhood Association. Yeah, so he's super Close. active. And, uh, you know, before the before uh, he appeared in federal court, he, he submitted something and he submitted a, a note for us here. So we're going to talk about robust funding for the arts here, if we would. This is Tim Burke, Old Seminole Heights Neighborhood President. What Tampa Bay needs is robust funding for the arts community. At a time when state and now even county funding is at risk, our continued economic growth as a region is in danger. Our companies can't grow if we don't have the amenities to attract this country's best workers to Tampa Bay. And simply having beaches and sunshine isn't enough. Decreased funding plus lasting impacts from the pandemic have left our arts organizations in a precarious situation at a time when we're trying to bill our home is offering something for everyone. Robust funding that can ensure a sustainable future for the performing and visual arts organizations in Tampa Bay is desperately needed. And it's an investment that pays off for both all of us who live here now 
and everyone who might come here in the future. That was the voice of Timothy Burke, an, a journalist based here in Seminole Heights, um, sharing his thoughts on, on what he thinks would make Tampa Bay um, a better place to live in four years. If you're just joining us here on The Skinny, we are sharing results from a recent creative loafing survey that did just that. It asked Tampa Bay residents what they thought the region needed to be a better place in four years. We're getting a lot of texts, a lot of calls, a lot of emails. So I want to remind you, the phone lines are open, um, 813-239-9663. We have a call we're about to get to. Um, Irene will get you into the queue here. Or you're welcome to text the studio here today, 813-433-0885 is how you text us. And if you're old school, you can send an email DJ at WMNF.org. Those work too. It just occurred to me that uh, as we're talking about the arts here, that uh, it might be worthwhile to mention that the Gasparilla Festival of the Arts is taking place this weekend at Julian B. Lane Riverfront Park. That's March 2nd and March 3rd. And in conjunction with that, there's free admission at the Tampa Museum of Art in honor of the Gasparilla Music Festival on March 2nd and March 3rd. So uh, I know it's not after dark, and I know we're not talking about increased funding for the arts, Actually, but those the, two the funding things are is an element. Maybe it is of, of GFA because yeah. GFA is unique in that it has a very large purse huh. of prize money. I think uh, I have to check this, but I think it's fifteen thousand dollars is on the line at, at GFA as far as awards and things like that. So that's a good example of an art festival that ha- is well funded in that sense. That actually attracts top notch talent from across the country, and and it gets our local artists who are amazing and, and stand on their own. Right next to them, so it really is a you know a world class you know l- leader in the nation of that, and, and we have some phone calls here. I want to go to um, Jennifer in Spring Hill. We're going to bring you on here, Jennifer. Are you there? Uh, hi, yeah, I am there. Uh, I'm just calling to say I'm 100 percent for the art. I think that art is the way you know this it's the repressive um, regimes in this world suppress art, and that the reason is because it creates thinking. Um, ideas and new ways of looking at things, you know, just makes people a little bit more aware of what's really going on. I mean, it's just, it's just all good. And I also think what we need here is more, we need high-speed rail. We should have gotten that a long time ago. Jeb Bush suppressed that, speaking of suppressive governments. But anyway, then I just wanted to add that I'm donating $50 towards the skinny. Hey. And I I appreciate that um, Sean, um, he got on the um, debate that was on last night, Free and Equal, which had a lot of, you know, like third, what we call third, fourth, fifth parties. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, an excellent debate. And so anyway, I appreciate that. So um, I'll be sending you a check and I'll just earmark it for the skinny. Oh, thank you thank so you much. Thank you so much, Jennifer. We really appreciate that. And, and we appreciate you listening out of the 352. You and can't she, understand yeah, how... Well, I'm a spokesperson for the Green Party of Florida. So oh, there you go. <laughs> so so you understand. <laughs> now, now, she brought up uh, high-speed rail, Ray. Uh, I take it a lot of people were interested in talking about transit. Transit was this huge, huge thing. So I didn't even count all the... We tried to break up the responses into individual blogs as much as we could to give people as much of a platform as possible. And I think there's at least like 50 individual blogs going up. And some of them are a collection of thoughts about transit. And yeah, I mean... Were there any trends? or Yeah, so yeah. There, there was there was one in particular. It was from uh, Katie Naff. I'll have to pull it up after our next clip. But essentially she was having like this almost like existential crisis about getting in her car uh, because 
Um, I can read that if you, you want. You, yeah, yeah, I think it is in there. Will you read that? Legitimate ben, and affordable Thanks, mass Trevor. transit that is available to everyone in all areas and runs at all hours. This is uh, an idea of Katie Naff. Because driving is more expensive and dangerous than ever. Driving around town is truly terrifying, and not much can be done to change that. But having an option to avoid driving is very necessary. Also, those without cars or the ability to afford insurance won't be forced to spend close to $100 a day to take Lyft and Uber to work, to run errands, etc. Insurance is more expensive than ever. Because of one ticket in 27 years of driving, I now pay $400 a month for one car. It's outrageous, and I would choose mass transit every day instead of driving. It would majorly decrease drunk driving accidents and pedestrian deaths and injuries. We are a cool and diverse city. Our transportation system should be forward thinking and moving. Yeah, that one really struck me when I, I saw it on the form because as, as I was reading through it, I could really start to feel the weight of every decision that Katie, one of our readers, had to make every day, all based around this thing that you just have to get in your car, the cost of insurance, whether or not you have to take an Uber, just it's already hard to live. Affordability was huge response um, on here too. And just to think about the way having to drive affects just that one individual person. Imagine the way it affects a family. Yeah, um, you know. So that that was definitely um, something. That- and that's that's that, that's wild, but it's not unheard of. Four hundred dollars a month for insurance. I'm I'm driving a two thousand two. Uh, Jeep Wrangler, uh, just an old uh, Jeep, uh, you know, teetering on <laughs> antique years, as weird as that sounds, 2002. Uh, I pay $160 a month, and that is the cheapest insurance I can find. Um, uh, so this is a, you know, uh, car insurance is a burden on on people. Uh, even though my, my car is completely paid off, but I'm still doling out 160 bucks a month just to drive around. Same, and car insurance and, insur- and homeowner's insurance came up a lot. And we're getting a lot of feedback here. Um, so, by the way, if you want to send an email to tell us what you think Tampa Bay needs to be a better place in four years, it's dj at WMNF.org. If you want to call us like Jennifer did, it's 813-239-9663. And then we also have a text line, 813-433-0885. We love episodes like this where we get to um, hear from you. We're also getting uh, – here's one out of uh, Holiday. Good morning. Thank you for your show. I recently moved to Holiday. It's pretty sad how drug and crime infested this area is off of US-19, especially mm. since it's right next to the famous Tarpon Springs. Um, you know, that, that dichotomy, and we talk about sense of place, and there's a little bit of that in these survey results. You know, um, the Gary uh, Jerry here, you know, he, he's connected to Tarpon Springs. Mm. Like, he sees that as this place. It's part of, like, the um, identity, the geographical, the personality of, of where he lives. And then he puts that right next to hey, we have drug issues. And then some safety things came up. Some people called for less cops. Some people called uh, for more cops. Um, and we have more feedback here. Um, Colin Wolf, uh, the digital editor at Creative Loafing Tampa Bay, noticed something that really wasn't in there. We talked a lot about housing, but um, uh, he said, one thing missing from the survey, city leaders need to limit corporate and private equity home ownership in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay Times just did a great story about this. And it's one of the biggest factors to the area's housing issues. One company shouldn't be allowed to own 6,000 homes in one city. Um, It's ridiculous. Yeah, I saw this Times report and it was fascinating. Uh, A private equity firm is just buying up uh, properties left and right. And as a result, it's... Uh, artificially inflating property values in in the same area where it's buying all these homes. 
Um, and so homes. Homes are a part of like your identity, your sense of place, um, what a neighborhood looks like. And I want to pull up another um, um, something from the audio vault here about structural history. Um, people talked a lot about preservation um, and things like that. Um, and TJ Chaltry uh, was kind enough to send in a voice memo of him reading his submission as well. Let's pull that up. Tampa Bay needs to appreciate, preserve, and honor its structural history. We've lost entire blocks of buildings, some 100-plus years old, to the wrecking ball in Tampa Bay City Centers this decade alone. Historical architecture is what sets a place apart from any town USA. Destruction, often branded as revitalization, doesn't happen all at once. It's death by a thousand cuts. So many of our downtowns and neighborhoods have long since been slashed to a fraction of their origins. While those losses of storefronts, factories, schools, and homes are irrevocable, our local leaders will need to stand firm against the flashes of developers' dollars and their plans to seemingly turn every charming and historically significant structure into another car wash or high-rise condominium. We talked about this a few weeks ago with uh, former councilwoman Linda Salcena. That's correct. Yeah, she talked a lot about what do we want our neighborhoods um, to look like. And, and Ben, I just want to make a note. I really appreciate you gathering all these voice um, memos because it was it's it was already cool to read the responses and then to hear them um, is is really cool too. And by the way, if you're just joining us here um, on the skinny, we are sharing some of the results from Creative Loafing's uh, brand new What Tampa Bay Needs survey. We got a lot of responses. We've put some in the latest print issue. Um, most of them are online and, and we're talking about them right now and we're getting a lot of feedback. Um, 813-239-9663 if you want to chip into this conversation. Tell us, what does Tampa Bay need to be a better place um, in four years? You can send us a text. I think that number is 813-433-0885 or an email at dj at wmnf.org. Mike Connolly sent us um, an email uh, about his idea, sidewalks are now dangerous and and are now a dangerous highway for 49 mile per hour scooters um, and no bicycles. Uh, 85-year-old woman killed on Central six months ago. Uh, he says ban e-scooters forever. Oh, interesting. Um, interesting because you uh, certainly see the rise in the popularity of the e-scooters around there. I mostly see them abandoned by the mm-hmm. sidewalks and sometimes in the Hillsborough River. Uh, as a lot of people are just riding them up into Tampa Heights and Seminole Heights and then discarding them, it looks like. But I'm usually tipping them off the sidewalk um, yeah. so I can push my kid's stroller through or something. Yeah, uh, It can like be that. frightening to have a, you it know, is, and a, a, I use the e-scooters. a cavalcade of e-scooters come blowing by you as you're out on the river. I ride mine on the street. Do you? Okay. I do. Um, yeah, in and the again, bike lane. It's kind of scary if there's a bike lane, yeah. um, obviously, but I don't want to be on the sidewalk. For Maybe one, you should add an e-scooter lane. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that would make Mike very happy, but I think it would make a lot of people happy. I didn't include one, but we definitely we got um, a uh, response from uh, um, like the director of safety at Bird and Spin, actually, and that'll be online. I forget his name. His first name was Dan, but uh, uh, we got one in there. Um, we what, have, did, what did people say about Ebor City, Ray? Was that uh, topic yes, of Yes, uh, Ebor City, for sure. And, and Stuart, I, I know we have you here on the phone. You just uh, came on. But let's, let's, uh, let's uh, talk about Ebor City real quick here because um, it was definitely something. Uh, for one, Tom DeGeorge, uh, past guest of the show, owner of Crowbar, suggested Tampa bring back the notion of um, a night mayor or executive director of the city's office of nightlife. Certainly a thing. I well, like the way that sounds, a nightmare. I love it, too. And I think I forget <laughs> who I interviewed, but somebody 
did talk about that. Maybe we had one. And then there was Devin um, Ingandela, a past show of this, uh, a past guest of this show. Also, he was on the Tampa Civilian Police Review Board. He joined us uh, f- maybe a couple months ago to talk about his job doing that. But he chimed in about Ebor City. He said Tampa Bay just needs to appreciate Ebor City for what it is. He lamented the closure of the district's bars, writing in part, "Nashville has Broadway, Memphis has Beale Street, New Orleans has Bourbon." Bourbon Street. Tampa has 7th Avenue in Ebor. A healthy nightlife is good for the city. Bars and clubs and restaurants are what we need to keep young minds in Tampa and stop the quote-unquote brain drain that might send our productive human capital elsewhere. He said, um, I truly believe that zoning 7th Avenue as wet uh, could solve several issues. I'm what sure does he mean by wet? Um, basically walk around with a drink, yeah. uh, right? Uh, which I'm sure some people do um, illegally. Um, and he says, I'm not an attorney, but there could be some opportunity as well with the open availability of alcohol. I believe you'd effectively be banning firearms from that wet zone. So everybody has like these great ideas like about, about eboard and they're really concerned about um, their neighborhood. So it was really cool um, to read that. And I would love to, I would do an, uh, an episode about a potential nightmare um, in eboard I know Stuart uh, in St. Pete uh, has been waiting. Let's bring Stuart on uh, right now. Stuart, you're on the air here at WMNF joining us to talk about this, what Tampa Bay needs survey. How you doing? I am doing excellent, and, I, and I'm, well, I'm an old man now. When I was in my 30s, I used to go to Ebor all the time, and it was a blast. So I think, yeah, making it a wet area would probably be beneficial. Mm. You know, but when you're, you know, when I hear people talk about the infrastructures, and, you know, you look at, if you just come into, like, Tampa or into St. Pete, you see all these apartments going up everywhere. And yet, I don't see any roads being built to take care of the influx of traffic that's going to be in this area, you know. And everyone complains about insurance, well, and homeowners insurance. Well, look at all the people that are moving here. Insurance are going to have to cover it. And God forbid we have a hurricane, and then your rates go skyrocketing. I can remember when I was a kid growing up down here. My parents never complained about insurance. Because there was no one here, basically. You know, now you have all these people, more people getting coverage, more people living on the beaches, which I say, if you live on the beach, you take the risk, don't have insurance, you know, which is crazy. But I mean, but what do you do? Yeah. All right. Stuart, thank you for the call. Um, Stuart brings up a good point. There was one respondent who said, put a cap on the snowbirds coming here. Um, but th- I th- noticed that. Yeah. Uh, reduce the number of tourists. Uh, tourists. Yeah, yeah. 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 You'd yeah. have to be registered to be a tourist in the winter time. You know, Stuart was talking about street parking and things like that. And, and Nathan Hagen, uh, who's the chapter lead of UMB Tampa, also submitted to this survey. And uh, he said, Tampa Bay needs more housing for people instead of cars. Our urban core and age adjacent neighborhoods need to be rapidly retrofitted for real alternatives to driving and to build demand for transit for the people who live here. One of the most effective ways to do this is to stop mandating excessive space for cars that goes drastically underutilized, which drives up the cost of housing and commercial businesses, makes most forms of missing middle housing infeasible, and promotes a car-centric suburban-style development 
in our urban core. So that was some great feedback here. And by the way, if you're just joining us here on The Skinny, we're sharing results from a recent creative loafing survey that asked Tampa Bay residents what they thought the region needed to be a better place in four years. Um, Our phone lines are open. They're active. 813-239-9663. Irene will get you in a queue. Um, You can text us here at the studio, 813-433-0885, or email DJ at WMNF.org. We're getting a lot of emails. Uh, Mario Nunez from Down and Dirty. Uh, he, he, you got to hear his argument about uh, the, the the flag of the city of Tampa. He says, don't read it on here. Let's make room for other stuff, but that'll be um, online uh, for sure. And uh, yeah, we're getting short on time, maybe like seven minutes. I, I, I disagree 100% with, with I Mario, also love the, the Tampa flag. I absolutely adore that flag and all of its hideousness. Uh, I think it, it, it is the thing that best represents this vortex of bloodshed and sunshine and hucksterism. I love you know? how weird it is. The colors are amazing. I mean, um, um, it's it's awesome here. Um, Rob Pryor says, hey, DJ, we need more water treatment plants in the Tampa Bay area. They need to stop dumping sewage in the Bay and Gulf. I can smell it in Treasure Island, Gulfport, and Coffee Pot Bayou. Thank you, speaking, Rob. Speaking of yes. the environment, you got a number of responses there about the environment. So and many. I think one that stood out to me was the tree canopy and yeah. how depleted it's been. Uh, in the past decade or so. Um, Do we have that? Yeah, I think uh, that's in the email from uh, Bob Whitmore. So Bob Whitmore is a political cartoonist for... uh, Creative Loafing Tampa Bay. He submitted a cartoon, but also something. And there was also another comment um, about trees from... um, Andrea Hughes, Um, you know, a lot of people said Tampa Bay needs trees if it wants to be a better place. And she said... uh, we need tree regulations to stop the removal of the tree canopy. Uh, she said that since restrictions were loosened, her neighborhood's lost a quarter of its healthy live oaks, making it impossible to be outdoors in the summer. Lots of kids and dog walkers live here and benefit from the shade when it heats up, she added. And I think we have Bob's uh, thing queued up right now. Let's hear from Bob Whitmore, political cartoonist for Creative Loafing Tampa Bay. Fishing is a way crooks try to bait you into giving up your personal or financial information. Now, that wasn't it. I'm going to read what Bob wrote. Uh, uh, He said, Trees, the city of Tampa is unique in that nestled within what is arguably one of the greatest urban forests in the world. Up until recently, Tampa was the number one city on planet Earth when it comes to trees per acre. But that is slowly being eroded as developers push for rezoning and poachers poachers remove trees illegally. Over the next four years... Tampa could make a lasting name for itself by mustering the local political will to become a, quote, city in the forest. Imagine an innovative city that creates homes and buildings designed to preserve trees and becomes world-renowned for planting and preserving trees that help in the fight against global warming. We have the opportunity to create a city unique among the great cities on the planet, a city famous for its love of trees. And I thought that was very interesting and, and poignant. It is very interesting and poignant. And I feel like once a year, maybe twice a year, I come outside and seeing strangers butchering the live oak that's growing in my front yard uh, to try to trim trim it away from the uh, from, from the power lines. Uh, and this drives me insane. Uh, it happens all over the city of Tampa. Um, I'm not sure what can be done about it, but, uh, y- you know, you drive down certain streets and it looks like half the trees have just been butchered to death. The, they, they, they're void of the canopy on the one side. Uh, and these trees have been cut back in such a uh, such an unattractive way. Um, it's always struck me since I moved here that that ought to be something that, uh, and it turns out you, no matter how much shouting you do at the men with the chainsaws, they got they a job to you. do. They can't hear you. Yeah. We yeah. have a lot of calls. I don't know if we're going to get to them in these five minutes, but we're going to get to as many of them as possible. Layla from Brandon, you're on the air. 
Well, what do you think Tampa Bay needs? Uh, I agree with the, the person that just spoke because I've been trying to save the tree canopy and Brandon for the last 25 years, and they're going to put a new library on the site, uh, which uh, to the detriment of the trees, which will eventually go because of the situations they're doing with a new library. Mm. And Tampa, uh, Tampa has a 40, uh, negative 40 on the tree canopy. That was in the newspaper not too long ago. There was an article about me trying to save the canopy out here. And yeah, I agree. We're heating up. When we had 13 days of over 100 degree temperatures last summer, it's going to continue. Mm. And so, uh, you know, they can't overlook the obvious that, you know, they're going to beautify downtown Tampa, but the homeless are still there. So the encampment idea with DeSantis does not work. They've already tried that. I work with the homeless. I think we should do a compound for the homeless and let them plant the oak trees that um, Mayor Castor just got the, uh, the million dollar grant for to improve the tree canopy and make a compound for the homeless downtown camp at Marion Street, right by the interstate. There's a 10-acre parking lot that the city owns that we could put 140 cottages on, and we could make it a back-to-work program for the homeless and get them off the street and give them um, a dignified way of living and start thinking about progressively doing good things for our community and all the way around and let them be part of the solution, the people that don't have jobs, you know utilize people that really need structure in their life and what better way than to plant an oak tree you know thank you layla from brandon and we're going to squeeze in one more call here i think vivian from why mama can you tell us in 30 seconds what you think tampa bay needs to be a better place in four years well speaking for greater tampa bay and greater hillsborough county we need to stop the urban sprawl mm. we are eating up every last piece of native habitat and green space and open space and agricultural land, um, and it results in pollution, congestion, miserable people sitting in traffic, and the elected officials seem to be in the pockets of the developers, and they just don't know how to say no, and it is ruining our entire area. The entire region is being known for nothing more than urban sprawl and, and congestion. And when I was working in the in the Brandon Bureau, the Tampa Bay Times covering that part of the county uh, back in 2006 and seven, Waimama was kind of on the edge of that. Uh, some of those new neighborhoods that, that boomed in, in the mid-aughts uh, were sort of encroaching on Waimama. What's it like now? Oh, I let go Vivian. I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry Vivian. My bad. We let go of you because we have just two minutes left. Um, hey, this has been a really good. Do you want to sneak Mario? Let's see. Uh, I have Mario here. Mario, 15 seconds. Can you tell us what would make Tampa yeah, Bay no, better? No. Listen, it, it, there, the Creative Loafing Edition uh, is is available <laughs> in the news box across from Fox 13. It's, it's page 19 if you want to read it. And and Ray and Ben is the last time I'm I'm tossing to you guys after our show down and dirty because both of you guys are on my list. Okay, I'm just going to say it. All right, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Mario. Um, it has been a really good show. Um, yeah, as as Mario mentioned, you can pick up some of these results on uh, on a newsstand in the copy of Creative Loafing. It's also on cltampabay.com. It's been really good to hear from the listeners, Ben. These are some of my favorite shows, and I wanted to make a programming note. Um, that next week, because it's International Women's Month, Ben, uh, myself, or Mitch will be nowhere near this building because women are taking over the entire station. Um, fam- I might come watch just to make sure they get it right. Oh, just man, kidding. I'm going to murder you. you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so it, all femme-centric voices um, on the air, and and um, it's going to be really great. Um, I'm going to have my earbuds in. I think I'm going to go for Ike and, and listen to that. And one of my favorite women in the entire world is in the WMNF team. Tampa studio for art in your ear after this. Her name is Joellen Schilke. Um, she'll be with you for the next hour. On behalf of myself, Ben Montgomery, Skip Sassy, uh, 
Leela, who will be here next week, and Irene on the phones. I'm so lucky to be on this microphone with you. Um, thank you for supporting this station, and we'll see you in two weeks. But you better tune in for women's. You're listening to WMNF Tampa.